Part two with Ben Golliver time. I'm David Locke, host of Locked on NBA. Part one was so fun. It was about the mad stories of Monday. Now we get into more philosophical fun stuff. We'll start talking about the Rockets and Warriors from last weekend, some of the takeaways I had on that. We'll move into the referee issue. We'll hypothesize on how we change the league. It's a really fun conversation with a super bright guy and Ben Golliver from SI.com and the Open Floor Podcast. Thanks to SeatGeek for their sponsorship. The promo code is L-O-N-B-A for you to get your $20 back after your first purchase. That's L-O-N-B-A. Thanks for tuning in to part one and part two of this podcast. And remember to subscribe to your local Locked On favorite teams podcast in the NBA, the NFL, and Major League Baseball's coming. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Go back onto the court because that is actually what I really like. Uh, uh, Houston, Golden State, the other night. I thought I left that one. If I'm Golden State, I'm scared. And here's what jumped out to me at that game: every time they tried to double team James Harden on the pick and roll, Houston killed them. I mean, killed them. And when they don't double-team James Harden in the pick-and-roll, it means Steph Curry ends up guarding James Harden at some point in every possession. And I, if I'm Golden State, that one bothers me. What, what was your thought on that game? Well, Harden's really good, isn't he? I mean, I still think he's underrated. Like Everyone loves to criticize James Harden. He's an easy target. The man is unbelievable. And I, I really hope for his sake and for Houston's sake that they have their playoff breakthrough and they can just write a new story this year because uh, it's gotten tiresome to see the way people kind of tear him down, given how consistently excellent he is and how his own individual skills, how well they built around that to make an awesome offense. Now, uh, I think that the Rockets were really uh, level and balanced late in that game. And you like to see that because that's not always been their reputation, whether it's, you know, Chris or James, I mean, Harden's had a lot of turnover problems, decision-making problems, shot selection problems. Uh, That was one of his better performances in recent memory down the stretch uh, against Golden State. So you do like to see that. They match up better with the Warriors than anybody in the league, in my opinion. And that was true on opening night. I still think that's true. That's the series that I want to see more than any other series from a pure basketball standpoint. It's Houston and Golden State. Now, I do wonder, though, and you said you want to keep it on the court, but I do wonder if they sort of won the battle but lost the war. You know, the trash talk that was kind of coming out of that game has me a little bit nervous because Clint Capella was saying, you know, we feel like we're better than the Warriors. You know, Eric Gordon was making the point you just made, which is let's just attack Steph Curry defensively and force him to work, and there's nowhere for him to hide. And those are fighting words, you know, and you saw Kevin Durant respond to some of that stuff pretty quickly. Uh, those are bulletin board material. There's no question guys like Steve Kerr and that coaching staff are filing those away. And you just don't need to give team like uh, Golden State that level of motivation because you're going to see them down the road, almost certainly. And I, I thought from that standpoint, as nice as their performance was on the court, I kind of wish for their sake they could have just had that post-game press conference back a little bit and just, you know, just played it straighter and said, hey, look, we respect them. They're really good. We're glad to get the win and, and move forward because uh, I still don't think we've seen Golden State at sixth gear this season. I think they're kind of just biding their time, waiting. They've been sensational. The record's amazing. All their main guys have played pretty well. 
Um, you know, we should note that I think Iguodala was out, right? So, I mean, that is a, a difference. Um, but in a playoff series format, I would still take Golden State in that series in probably five or six. Uh, I would. I think Ariza being out's a bigger loss for the Rockets than Iguodala being out for the uh, Warriors at this point. Yeah, fair point. I mean, uh, and Iguodala has been okay. You know, he's been pacing himself more than anything. I guess my main point was that Houston was probably playing closer to their ceiling in that game than Golden State was. Um, and, you know, we can get into this problem, you know, a few years ago where Golden State was kind of just messing around and it, and it came back to bite them in the finals at the worst possible time. Um, but to me, they're just still in cruise control. Uh, and and so that makes it hard to overanalyze a regular season win or loss. I mean, uh, they cranked it up pretty good against Cleveland. Um, the second time, you know, I thought Kevin Durant, you know, really made a point, kind of take it to LeBron in that game and just sort of say he was the alpha guy in that situation. And you do see that here and there. But um, I just think Golden State's still kind of, you know, uh, holding back their best stuff. And uh, maybe I'm naive, but I have also seen the Warriors play like, you know, 65 times in person over the last three seasons. And um, I didn't think that was an A-plus effort from them over the weekend. All right, we weren't preparing for this conversation, but I would love this one because of the point you made that James Harden is underrated. Give me the five best offensive players in the history of the NBA. The five best offensive players? Oh, man, I would go uh... – do I have to go in order, or am I just going no, over? No, we can do it together. I mean, I have Harden on this list. I think he's one of the five greatest offensive players in the history of the game. Oh, ever? Oh, wow. Um, now you're, you're really blowing my mind. Um, well, you are not underrating him. We could say that for sure. <laughs> no, I mean, I really uh, – Who I mean, do you – 30 points. I mean, I would say LeBron. And, I would say Jordan. Jordan, um, Jordan, Jabbar, you, Jordan Jabbar have, Durant. It's my first three. Interesting. Um, where do you have Curry? Uh, knocking on the door of this list. Nowitzki in his, some of his prime is knocking on the door of this list is one of the most unguardable, but I'm, I think Durant probably knocks him off. Um, yeah. So I, I think I would, pro- I would probably have Curry over Harden, um, but that, that may not be the way their careers end. But, you know, in terms of the gravity angle, I mean, that, that argument's always been very convincing to me. And just the level of his three-point shot and the range on his three-point shot, there's clearly a lot of things that Harden can do that Curry can in terms of playmaking. And, you know, Steph's turnovers drive me crazy. I don't know if you read that Jack McCallum book uh, about Jerry West, where, where West is just, like, ranting about Steph Curry's turnovers, like, through half the book. I mean, a lot of that really rang true for me. I mean, some of this stuff is just, you know, so silly. Um, but I think I would still have Curry over Harden right now. What about Harden's points created? Yeah, no, I mean, he's an offense into and of himself. I mean, there's no question. And, like, he, it doesn't seem like there's a usage bound that he can't reach, you know? Like, it, it still seems like, like if they hadn't gotten Chris, D'Antoni could have put even more on Harden's shoulders and he would have been just fine with it. And um, I think so much of, of what he's able to do from an advanced analytics standpoint, especially these last couple of years, is set up by like super duper smart design and really great, you know, roster, uh, you know, management in terms of targeting players, finding the right type of guys, putting them in situations where Harden can make them better. Um, you know, if I look at like the biggest difference between say like 
Houston and Oklahoma City in, in recent years, or even like when the Bulls were trying to build around Jimmy Butler versus how Houston built around James Harden. I mean, there was a time a couple of years ago where they were in really similar spots, and you know, Chicago implodes and Houston just completely takes off, and you know, they're probably headed for their best season in franchise history this year. So, uh, <clears throat> Harden's in this conversation. I had not thought about that, so I give you credit for blowing my mind. I would. Before I commit to it, I would want to like sit down and really do it. But uh, he is absolutely underrated by the casual fan uh, still, even though he's probably the MVP leader for a lot of people. So you made the comment right there that you were surprised that I had Durant on the list. How come? Um, well, partially because it, like he's a pure scorer. So like how much is he creating for his teammates? You know, when we think of like overall offensive weapons, um, he gets his points so easily and he's so steady um, that it's easy to kind of forget about him. Uh, you know, I, I think of him as, you know, just like skill for skill, you know, he's right there with Jordan as like the best all around scorers in NBA history. Um, I think, you know, being in Golden State has pulled out some better elements of his game. Uh, like when Curry was out, it was fun to see the ball in his hands and, and see Durant do a little bit of the distributing. Uh, it's not totally natural for him, but he has good instincts and good timing, especially in transition. You know, he, he's pretty good at that. Uh, and obviously his defense was kind of improving uh, throughout his Warriors tenure, but especially this season too. So um, I guess I just have a bias towards the guys who are retired, you know, like I don't normally put guys who are like under 30 on these like top five of all times lists. I kind of wait for them to, to get closer to the end of their career, sort of more towards that LeBron James stage. But look, there's very, very few people who can go skill for skill with Durant and, you know, there's, again, there's some things that he can do, um, you know, three-point off the dribble, extending range that even Jordan couldn't or even, you know, basically anyone else couldn't either. So, um, you know, he's got a case too. I have a stat I use called PAC, which is points above average created is how I evaluate offensive players. So you just take their possessions they're using, comparing what the average player would do with those same possessions. And then what they scored, Durant leads the league almost every year except for two years ago when Steph had one of the greatest single seasons of all time. So that's that's why I had Durant there if you were if you were wondering. Well, uh, let me ask you this. Is, is he your MVP right now? Good. I don't know who my MVP is right now. Probably still Harden, despite he missed the game. Yeah, so I – yeah. I had Harden all the way up till the injury. Then I went LeBron briefly, but then Harden came back from the injury pretty quickly. So I think I'm back on Harden. But I think Durant could wind up being, like, especially if LeBron takes some time off here. I mean, Durant should be top three, no worse than third in my eyes. I, Durant was my MVP last year till he got hurt. Like on the day Durant yeah, got hurt, too. I had him as my MVP. Yeah, I remember we talked about that. I think we were the only two guys in the league who had that. Probably. <laughs> I was with you. All right, uh, staying kind of sort of on the floor, but not really on the floor. We had the huge cap burst the other year. or And and now we're about, we're year two away from that. How much is this cap tightness going to impact this league, and how tight is it, and what do you think the impact of it is? Because I feel like this is the untalked about story in the league right now. It really is because we're all distracted by the shiny objects of these crazy stories that we've been talking about. I had a conversation with the Western Conference executive earlier this week, and I asked him that exact question. You know, just like, hey, forecast some of the free agency stuff for me. 
the guy started cackling and he said, there's going to be a lot of players who are really disappointed. <laughs> and he was just blunt. And, and, you know, I think from his standpoint, that probably meant it was an opportunity for his team to get somebody on the cheap. I think that's probably why he was like laughing about it. Uh, but it also could have been some retroactive, like, wow, you know, everybody really went nuts a couple of summers ago and it still hasn't really worked through the system. Um, you know, it's hard to play matchmaker right now, uh, even with some of like the biggest name free agents, because uh, there just aren't that many teams that are one competitive with like cap space and, you know, willingness to like spend it this summer. Uh, you know, it seems like you're either in one category or the other, right? You either have, you know, available cap space, but you're terrible or you're good, but you're capped out. And that makes it really tricky to kind of concoct the, you know, crazy scenarios you throw on top of everything the LeBron question. I mean, I, I still don't think anyone has a read on what he wants to do. And we know every team in the league, you know, especially the ones who are, you know, in win now mode right now, whether that's, you know, San Antonio, Houston, uh, you know, whoever else it might be, are willing to do whatever it takes to get him. And that could become very, very complicated. You know, case in point, what the Rockets had to do to get Chris Paul last summer. I mean, that was no easy series of transactions to kind of make that trade happen. So, um, I think long story short, uh, I agree with the executive who says there's going to be players who are disappointed. There's going to be some deals to be found on guys this summer. And I think uh, so much of where this, the kind of the, the bright light free agent guys wind up going is going to be determined based on whatever LeBron does. And I know you remember the, the first decision where it was like uh, everything was on hold. And, and the same thing actually for his second decision, by the way, where it was just dominoes. It was like nothing happened until LeBron made his decision. And then the next 15 guys could all figure out what they were going to do. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we're headed for that same situation here this summer. What I'm mesmerized by is where the line is the line LeBron and Paul George. Like what's the next, like, is that, I then think, there's a line here where I think every player after that line is going to get about 50% of what they think they were going to get. So, like, you look at Avery Bradley, Danny Green, Rodney Hood, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. There's a fifth shooting guard. They're all, like, similar players. They're all free agents. They're all getting 50% of what they think. Like, yeah. Right? Uh, I, think that's pretty, I think that's pretty fair because, like, you know, if you're a team that's, you know, in that second tier – uh, and you're trying to chase Golden State in Houston. Any of those names that you mentioned, besides the top two, do those guys put you over the top? You know, you'll take them on, like Rodney Hood. You'll take on a really cheap deal. Like if you can just pick them up for the stretch run, you're not going to want to be the, the the team that really wants to pay him. And that's been an interesting uh, development here in the last couple of years. Not only among I think the the teams themselves, but also like real diehard fans like the the fear factor of wanting to be the team that pays a guy like Zach Levine in Chicago. It's like, if you're Minnesota, do you want to just trade this player just so you don't have to pay him? I can never remember that much hyper-focus on those kinds of decisions uh, in previous years, but I think it's probably well worth it because you have a lot of these teams that are capped out who made those kinds of mistakes in previous years who are now paying for it, right? So, um, yeah, I think that's going to depress the market. There's no doubt. At, at the same time we know the gms are going to spend whatever money they do have right so people are going to get paid it's just not going to be uh to the level that they may be expected all right this is a philosophical conversation i was having with someone the other day i gotta be a little careful on this one but i wasn't planning to talk about this today but you just led me into it and i love you i love your basketball brain and i think this one will really 
Uh, I'm hoping you find this one interesting, Ben. Uh, so we were talking about if a team were to trade for Kemba Walker, okay, which is really the reason you just made me think about it because that's what Charlotte's doing. They don't want to pay him. Right, They either have to extend him or pay him in the coming up here, and I think that the reason they're shopping him is they're not sure they want to pay him. Uh, so this team was talking about, was talking to someone, their team was talking about whether they might go acquire Kemba. And then my comment to them was, well, then that's your team. And then we got into the debate of, while that might be true, how long does anything last? Right? Do you understand? So if you've suddenly, like Washington right now, that's their team. Like, but for how long? Like, how long do any of these teams actually hold who they are, and for how long does that actually exist? Yeah, I mean, I think if you've got guys uh, who are aligned in age on, on like, their second contracts, you can milk that for basically the entire second contract as long as they get along, right? I mean, that's why personality and culture is so important because – you know, in a world in which these guys were video game characters, the Wall, Beal, and Porter uh, mix, for example, that looks like something that they should be able to run for the next three or four years, just based on age and based on skill set and based on positions. And you just kind of rotate your fours and fives around, whoever you can find, and that's your squad, like you're saying. Um, but we know it's more complicated than that. Now, in terms of Kemba, I think the one good thing is you don't really have personality concerns with him. You know, I, from everything I've heard, you know, hardworking guy. I thought the way he handled the trade rumor stuff was great in terms of being like an upstanding citizen and saying he wanted to be there. It's clear he's not trying to create a problem. Uh, and, you know, that's the type of thing that could help some teams. But there's a ceiling on that team for sure. I mean, Kemba Walker is good, not great. And, you know, if he only looks good to you if you're a team that just has no point guard. Otherwise, he looks like kind of a ticking time bomb where, uh, you know, the, the bigger contract is coming and then the age-related decline is, is coming after that. So um, I would expect, you know, not the world's greatest market for Kemba Walker, in part because the league is so flush with point guards at this point, and in part because the teams that are bad – uh, by and large are mostly trying to develop their own point guards. And uh, that's really tough. Like, you know, if you bring in a Kemba Walker to a bad team, you know, you're just telling your, your current point guards, like, hey, we don't believe in you. Uh, and that can get away from an organization very quickly. Final thing for Ben Golliver. You can hear him on Open Floor with Andrew Sharp. Uh, so I love Adam Silver. I am just think he's just in my interactions with him and everything. I just... And I think he's incredibly deep thinking and incredibly bright. And I'm waiting for him to put a stamp down on the league in some other manner than what I think his current stamp is, which he's enabled players' voices, which I think is awesome. But I think, I really think he's a forward think. I don't think he's a custodial holder of the fort. Does that make sense? Like, I think he's yep. really an innovative thinker. What's the stamp he's going to put? What's the stamp he's about to put down? Well, I would say his his the people around him would argue that his stamp is going to be diversity and empowerment of former players to, to get jobs. And I mean, I'll give you an example. I'm working on a story uh, about the Clippers. I don't want to spoil it too much, but like D Brown, I mean, slam dunk contest champion D Brown. He's in a situation now where he is the general manager of their G League affiliate, right? And He's bounced around. He's had different jobs. It's like, would you rather have a former player 
uh, if you're like Adam Silver, would you rather have a former player be a player development coach where he goes out there and, and shags three-pointers for guys that they're shooting and that's his job? Or would you rather have him in a position where he's potentially learning how to become a GM uh, by being the GM of a G League team, by you know identifying talent, scouring different uh, events, trying to put teams together, trying to find players who can help the main club? I mean, I think you would you would much rather have the infrastructure in place to uh, have those positions available for former players to fill and then potentially use those positions as sort of a, a feeder pipeline up to the, the bigger positions. And so I think that's going to wind up being one of his legacies. I mean, right now the league, no doubt, has some issues with, uh, you know, how many uh, black coaches are there, how many black GMs are there. It's a, it's a real sticking point for you know, certain people, especially, you know, players and former players. And I think what, you know, expanding the G League to 30 teams and, you know, continuing to, you know, just create jobs that are going to put you on that training track is definitely going to help. Now, how long does this all take? You know, hey, that could take 5, 10, 15, 20 years, but uh, the NBA is already ahead of a lot of other leagues on diversity stuff. And I think uh, that has the potential to be, uh, you know, silver is sort of like signature reputation. It, it goes in line a little bit with his treatment of Donald Sterling and, and some of the other things he's done in terms of empowering players' voices. But uh, I think most likely that's going to be how he's remembered that and digital. Uh, you know, the other thing these guys are way into right now is like virtual reality. They're broadcasting games in VR right now. It's getting easier and easier for fans to, to have access to those VR broadcasts, you know, pretty soon you're just going to be able to buy a headset for 200 bucks, go to league pass and just watch a game uh, basically from a courtside view with a full, uh, you know, commentary uh, and, and everything else. And they've already been running some of these things for the last couple of years, but you know, the barrier to entry for the fan in terms of how much it costs is, is starting to get lower. And the league is just all about the technology stuff. So I think that's probably going to be his, his reputation going forward. But more immediately than that, I have a rant about these referees. I don't know how you feel about the, the situation with the refs, but uh, I would love to brainstorm that, too, if you got a second. I do. I actually think it's a player issue. So that's interesting because you, you, well, just, you just phrased it as a referee issue. I, am, I mean, I'm no different than you. I, I don't watch, like everyone always, what show are you watching? I'm like, I watch the NBA. Like I, like I call the Jazz game, and then the next day I'm on the plane, and I watch the Raptors uh, Timberwolves game and the and the Warriors Rockets game, but I can't tell you even just on that day. I, Kevin Durant is charging after official down the the half of the court on a play where he fouled the guy. Like he's clapping his hands in the face of an official. Like I would punch somebody if they did that to me. Not ta- you know, it drives me crazy. It, it drives me crazy how these guys are treating these officials. It really does. Um, and I think for Silver, he needs to he needs to back his referees up a little bit here. It can't just be a meeting where everybody shakes hands and goes about about their business because you've heard about that, right? Like they're going to have this right. summit or whatever. Uh, to me, that can't be the only thing. Like they really got to look at this. One idea I had. Do you remember uh, when they had the rule and they were really enforcing it tightly of like no demonstrative punches of the air or yes. like any sort of aggressive action. That was like an automatic technical. Do you remember that? Like a couple of years ago, they really were like making that a point of emphasis. Yes. What happened to that? I think that, no, I, yeah, that's a great question. First of all, what happened to that? Uh, why aren't they enforcing it the same way? I have no idea, but I would also like to see it. And it sounds like you might be with me on this. What if we just have an ejection for berating a referee? 
you know, what if there's a line between, look, you can have a conversation, you can even yell, but if you're berating and we can define berating, you know, however we need to do that, it's an automatic ejection. And then that rule would thereby trigger a different level of fine, right? So like if you get ejected, normally there's a very nominal fine, guys don't mind paying it. But if you're ejected for berating a referee, that fine is significantly bigger. Now, obviously, they have to kind of like talk this through with the, the uh, competition committee and the players association, all of that. But I just don't see any situation where there should be a player berating a referee for an extended period of time on the court. And I also don't think there should be any situation where a coach like Mike D'Antoni is screaming profanities at a player uh, during a game on the court. So I would say, you know, we, we need to really tighten this up on multiple levels. But where I would start would be just really just punishing the berating part of it so hard that it curbs the player's behavior because they're all just trying to take advantage of these referees who they know are not going to respond. I almost I had the I was trying to figure it out. I had the craziest idea the other day because I want I'm I want the players to treat the referees like respectable human beings. Okay, that's all I really want. What happens if we use review? So Durant goes up. This was a fast break play, and he from behind trailing block, and he hits his hand really clearly, and then he charges after the official, and the official turns around and says, "I can review it." And if he says yes and Durant's wrong, he's like, either it's three fouls or like, <laughs> right? Right? Like, okay, okay, I can review it. No, no, that's good. You don't need to review it. Like, the conversation's over at that point. It's sort of like the challenge flag, right? Where, like, if you're wrong, you lose your time out or whatever. Where, like, if you're if you're wrong on your gripe, then you, you get punished. Or, like, maybe, um, maybe you're, always, like you, you're wrong on your gripe, you're done for the half. You're done for the quarter. I don't know. You're done for like. Go ahead, gripe if you want, but I'm 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 gonna look. I'm gonna go review it, and if you're wrong, like, and then I think we should put them both on the headset. By the way, because then now if we're gonna do TV. Now they're both. You know, how you have two officials always on the headset. I now want like Danny Crawford and Kevin Durant on the headset next to each other. Danny's like, oh, you blew it. You're gone. See ya. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I've never heard anyone suggest that before. I, <laughs> I, I'm worried about how it would play out practically, uh, but it gets to the same idea of what I'm saying, which is we got to figure an outside-the-box solution to curb this stuff because the biggest stars are the biggest defenders. KD, Draymond, LeBron, uh, Harden will go after referees. I mean, outside of Steph, who's usually pretty controlled, except when he's throwing his mouth guard every once in a while, uh, you know, it's Paul George has long gone off to the officials. Uh, I mean, you, you name, the top 10 players in the league are basically the top 10 uh, crybabies when it comes to the officials. So, uh, you know, it starts with them. It starts at the top. And you got to do something to get their attention. And if it's not fouls or if it's not money, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what else it could be. I like my. I like we're going to use replay. I, I will say this. I've said this before. I say this, and it does not make me – no one likes me when I go into visiting arenas. Um I think as broadcasters, if we berate a call on the air and are wrong, we should be fined. Team broadcaster. Oh, wow. Not a lot. But I think if I'm a team broadcaster and I go bananas because Kane Fitzgerald screws up another call and then I'm, <laughs> and, and, and then I'm wrong, I've damaged the league. 
Well, I know one guy who would agree with you, and that's David Stern. I mean, wasn't he wasn't he famous for like having the conversations with the local media guys about that, or the local TV guys and radio guys about stuff like that? About hey, you know, we're all partners here. I mean, I remember hearing stories uh, from some of the guys in Portland about how you know they'd kind of hear from uh, you know Uncle David about some of those issues. But um, but I think he's right. Yeah, I, I mean, think he's. I really like how, how much he. How much are you willing to pay out of your salary for this? Stuff? I, I mean, how, right. how big are we talking? No, I mean, but you know what? If you find me fifty bucks, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Right. Like, well, if, that's what I, every, everyone has a price. That's my point. So let's figure out whatever the price like, is for Draymond and let's put it in there. <laughs> right. Like, I'm not saying you're finding me more than like fifty bucks, or my pretty in for the day is more than that. But like, I don't, I don't know what the number is. But there is a number where it should be even as a like. It's really damaging to the league one for uh, from our end to be talking about calls being bad and wrong and you're getting screwed when you're if you're not and it's really damaging for the league for Kevin Durant to act like a predator over the top of a man doing his job who's another human on a play where the guy's not even wrong and even if he is wrong it's damaging for the league for that to be going on yeah, I'm just looking forward to the David Locke Memorial House that's going to be built with your fine money during All-Star Weekend by NBA Cares. And I right. can't wait to go visit that. Go. You know, this is it's going to be a, a tourist uh, a tourist trap. You know, you can sell magnets and T-shirts. It's going to be great. When I'm commissioner, it's going to be a wacky show. Because, I mean, <laughs> we're by the way, we're not doing a stupid draft for five-on-five. Five. We're getting 24 guys that are All-Stars, and we're drafting – eight three-man teams, and we're having a eight-team three-on-three tournament. Yeah, that you just blew my mind again. Are you, are you letting teammates be on the same team, or is it totally interchanged? No, it's the 24 All-Stars. And they go play, okay. and they play three-on-three. Three. Games to ten. Five-minute games. Something short. The maximum amount of time anybody can play is 20 minutes. No team cares. We get to watch all of them play. It's super fun. It's three-on-three, three, which is a hot-rising game, which is good for the youth of America. It's actually a better game than five-on-five five for kids to play. They all should be playing three-on-three three instead of five-on-five. Five. So we promote that because it helps promote youth basketball. Boom! We actually have something maybe people watch on on All-Star Sunday. Who's the best three-on-three three team right now from the 20 oh, All-Stars that we're assuming are going to be All-Stars? Oh. I mean, it's got to be Katie. Katie has got to be on there. LeBron's got to be on there. Who, who's your third pick? It's got to be KD, LeBron, Steph, don't you think? Ooh, well, I was going back and thinking maybe Harden after what you had said earlier. Now, yeah. now we've reversed roles. Uh, well, I, I mean, just... Steph, Steph would be nasty in three on three <laughs> because uh, you know, as if as if the the value of spacing needed to be any greater. You know, it's like uh, now you just have oceans to work with when he's out there spotting up and you know, everybody else can play one-on-one. So, yeah, maybe it is those three. Maybe it's KD Harden and Steph. Oh, wow. Uh-oh. You got any listeners in Cleveland? You got to be careful. You, you know what like would be really interesting is if it was Westbrook, Harden, and Durant. I wonder how they would play together. Oh, wait. They, oh, they, right. they, they did. They did. <laughs> They're ruthless. Don't say that. They did play together. (laughs) On that note, we end a fun hour with Ben Golliver. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Hey, my pleasure, man. Take care. See you.
Well, I'm pretty certain by now you're a believer in Ben Golliver, so please send him a thank you at Ben Golliver on Twitter for taking the time with us. You can subscribe to his podcast as well. Thank you for being a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.